0: Greetings, in Jesus' name, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. This is part three. and This is lesson number nine of part three. And uh, we've been talking about in this, in part three, about the, the characteristics of, of what it means to have and how to have a life lived with pure motive. How can I have a life lived with pure motive? And we we have come to the conclusion so far, if you've been watching up to now, hopefully you have, because these are sequential line upon line, precept on precept here, a little there, a little, that's the way the Lord teaches us. Uh, You get out of sequence on that, you're missing a lot. So if you've been paying attention, I know that you know by now that the only way to have a life of pure motive is to be crucified with Christ. Uh, Here in, Lesson nine, we want to talk about Paul being submitted to being crucified with Christ. Paul didn't just up one day say, oh, I think I'll be crucified with Christ. He had to submit. The Lord God led him to the place where he had to surrender to, submit to being crucified with Christ. Paul's submission was consistent with the response of Jesus to the experience of crucifixion. Uh, Jesus did not crucify himself, neither did Paul crucify himself. Jesus crucified himself through the Spirit. Through the Spirit, he submitted to the Father, which led him to submit to his crucifiers. Philippians 2 and 8 says this, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross being found and in, in fashion as a man he he humbled himself well uh, how how did he humble himself he came to the end himself he he denied ownership of himself he acknowledged that without the father he could do nothing and we know that was verse things we will cover And later on in this uh, part and definitely in part four of this series, uh, Jesus specifically stated uh, the Son can do nothing of himself. He humbled himself, acknowledged that he could not do it himself, and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, we're going to read a couple of different translations here just to get some Idea of uh, the, the the flavor of the Greek that the English can't bring through in a simple translation. The amplified says, and after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further, and carried his obedience to the ex- to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. So he didn't just humble himself to die. I mean, he could have submitted to death, and just laid down on his bed and had a nice, peaceful expiring from this life. And I know people that have died like that, and that seems to be a wonderful way to go, just peacefully, just leave here and go to the next place. But Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, didn't just humble himself to death. He had to humble himself and submit himself to a method of death. Galatians 3 says, the Word of God says, that he submitted to the cross because he took the curse upon us because the Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So there is a curse for those that are crucified, not hung just around the neck, but when you're nailed to a cross, you're hanging there, and it's a curse. And the crucifixion was reserved for the execution of the worst enemies of the state, the people that uh, a a less painful, less humiliating, less prolonged death uh, were not worthy of. But those that were, that was the way you did it because that's the way you made a spectacle of them in order to cause anybody else who would cause you this kind of trouble to fear. So it was reserved for the worst troublemakers, for the ones that were the scourge of society. Uh, and uh, even in Roman times, they did not crucify everybody unless they were really, really angry. And we know in the story of Spartacus that they got so angry, uh, the Romans got so angry with this slave who led the rebellion that they lined the Appian Way with crosses until there were no trees within miles and miles because they were all cut down to make crosses. Well, they did that because they rebelled against Rome. They were slaves who rebelled against Rome. And so they they wanted this kind of spectacle and this horrible death. And, and because you don't die from crucifixion specifically, you can die from asphyxiation on the cross. You can die from... Uh, uh, exposure or loss of blood, but crucifixion didn't kill you. Because when you're, when you're hanging there, whether it's a cross with a bar or as some believe it's just a stake where the nail is driven up top and you're through your feet, in this way, the cho- the collarbones, they, they pinch the, uh, when all that weight is there, it pinches the esophagus so that you can't breathe. So you, 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 you're on the verge of passing out. Or, or dying of, of 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 lack of oxygen. So you pull down on the hands to relieve the the esophagus, so you can breathe. And it's so painful when you push down with your feet, the nail through your feet, and pull down on your hands that it uh, 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 it is so painful it causes you to pass out. And there you are in an unconscious state. But now you're back to not being able to breathe, and then the body revives itself because you're about to die of asphyxiation. And you do that process again, and it's a long process. That's why the Romans, after a day or two or three, whatever it would be in any particular case, got they wanted to speed the process along. They broke the legs of the ones hanging there, so that they um, they could no longer get breath, and eventually they, in a very short amount of time, they would die from asphyxiation. You didn't die from crucifixion; you were humiliated by crucifixion. That's why cursing is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so Jesus did not just submit to dying. He submitted to a way of death because he took our curses on us and he died for those curses in our place. And that's how you and I are able to be saved. But that's the purpose of the cross. The Lord allows the cross to work in our lives every day. Not for the purpose of humiliating us, but for the purpose of us being submitted. Now, some things we have to submit to may be embarrassing if we have not truly seen that we're doing this for the sake of Christ. Christ did it for the sake of pleasing his Father. He did it for the sake of the joy of seeing people saved. That's how he made it through that. He endured the cross, despising the shame, because of the joy that was set before him. So there are things that the the Lord allows us to go through for the purpose of either crucifying us or helping us to maintain our status of being dead to self and alive to him on a daily basis. It may be embarrassing. Been through a few of those, to say the least. But the benefit, the joy on the other side of that. Far is so far superior that there is really no humiliation there. There isn't any. Now, uh, Philippians from the Amplified says, After he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. The easy-to-read version says, He humbled himself by being fully obedient to God, even when... That caused his death, death on the cross. And then the New International Reader's Version says, he appeared as a man. He was humbled and obeyed God completely. He did this even though it led to his death. Even worse, he died on a cross. So the New International Reader's Version just kind of really gives you that flavor of the fact that he didn't just surrender to death. Okay, he died. Okay, no, no. He didn't just die. A lot of people just die. If he would have just died, the penalty would have been paid for. Dying alone would not have paid for the penalty. He had to take the curse on himself. He had to take the shame of our sin on himself. He had to experience those things that a sinner experiences and pay the price for them so that he could then freely forgive us. (coughs) He wants to freely forgive us but we have to allow him to. How did he do this? Well, Hebrews nine fourteen tells us, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, if the man Christ Jesus could not by his own human will give himself to God, how can we? Why would anybody, any, any one of us, think we could, if if he needed the Spirit to enable him to surrender his will, that final step? Because remember, he prayed three times, and it wasn't just a "now lay me down to sleep." God is great. God is good. Prayer. He was under such intense, uh emotional emotional turmoil from this that his sinless being was about to drink the cup of the sins of the world that he he sweat as it were great drops of blood this not like taking a, a gun to your head or somebody taking a gun to you okay it, that's a horrible thought but it's over fairly quick if they do it right it's not that It's not a lethal injection laying on a table in a prison somewhere where in just a few moments, you're just laying there. In a few moments, your heart stops. It's not like that. It it was a horrible, shameful thing. And so, but the worst part of it for him wasn't the shame. It wasn't the dying. It was that this sinless one was going to taste of sin for the first time, even though it wasn't his sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, uh, he who knew no sin, he, he who had no relationship with, no experience with any sin, became sin for us, was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So there was such great stress there. And he prayed three times, but each time the spirit of God that was on him and in him enabled his flesh to submit and say, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. After that third time, when you listen to his words and read the description of his actions and attitude, he was very calm. He was very surrendered. It was a done deal and because at that point, he was dead. Pathologically, if a pathologist had examined his body when they took him down from the cross, the cause of death would not have been crucifixion. The cause of death would have been what happened in the garden when he was under all that stress. Because in order to sweat blood, the walls of the heart have to be under such stress that a rupture is created At some point in the place in the heart. And there's a sac, a membrane sac that surrounds the heart called the pericardium. And if that, uh, if the heart is ruptured in any way, it bleeds into that sac. And the body, trying to dispel blood where it's not supposed to be, will send it out so that it it is sweated out of the body. And he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. But he died, that's the cause of death. He died of a broken or a ruptured heart caused from drinking our sin. That was the cause of death. Now, the place of death when he finally expired was the cross. So he did die on the cross. But the cause of death was the ruptured heart that happened in the garden. And that's why after that third prayer, and you see that's okay. Take your rest. It's all okay, you know. And then somebody comes, and the, the mob comes and takes him, and he goes along, and he calls Judas' friend and kisses him on uh, after Judas kissed him on the free, uh, on the chin. I mean, on cheek. And he went through this whole process, and they spit on him and beat on him, and he didn't react. He didn't respond. Uh, he rarely even answered, except very profound things. But he was very calm, very resi- not resigned, but submitted. And that's what the Lord, the Lord gave the the, the 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 spirit of the Lord gave the man Christ Jesus great grace to go through that process. Where did he get the grace from? Right out there in the garden, doing his praying. He did, that wasn't for show. It wasn't for show. Most of his disciples didn't even go as far as he went. It was only three, and they couldn't stay awake. He didn't do that for show. No. That's where he offered himself through the eternal spirit. Without spot to God to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We says it this way, how much more shall the blood of of the Messiah, who by virtue of the immediate instrumentality of his eternal spirit, his divine essence, his deity, thus by his own volition as a member of the Godhead, (laughs) a little bit of, a little bit of uh, non uh, biblical doctrine put into this translation, Uh, thus by his own volition, uh, offered himself without spot, himself spotless to God, purging conscience from dead works to serve uh, to the serving of the living God. So it was through the immediate instrumentality of the Spirit, of His eternal Spirit, He was empowered by the Spirit to do what His flesh could not do itself. Darby's translation says it this way: "How much rather shall the blood of of the Christ?" Who by the eternal spirit offered himself spotless to God, purify your conscience from dead works to worship the living God. How much more, how much more is that possible? Wow. That's that's just amazing stuff in it. Uh, New living translation. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And then uh, Wayne's New Testament translation says, How much more certainly shall the blood of Christ, who strengthened by the eternal spirit, offered himself to God, free from blemish, purify your consciences from lifeless works, for you to serve the ever-living God. Wow. And then one more, just, just for the enjoyment of it, the, 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 the beauty of the word. The New International Reader's Version says of Hebrews 9.14, but Christ offered himself to God without any flaw. He did this through the power of the eternal Holy Spirit. So how much cleaner will the blood of Christ make us? It washes away our feelings of guilt for committing sin. Sin always leads to death, but now we can serve the living God through the power of the eternal Holy Spirit. Well, is this really biblical? Is this really biblical? Yeah, it's really biblical. Because Paul said to us in Romans chapter 8 and 13 that we are to mortify. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. He's. This is the chapter where he's talking about minding the flesh, It's carnality and minding the spirit is spirituality. And if you obey the flesh, you're carnal. And if you obey the spirit, you're spiritual. And, uh, and he's, he's talking about all of that. And then he comes down to this for, if ye after the flesh, if you shall, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. If flesh is the director of your life, if flesh is the decision maker of your life, if flesh is the power behind your life, you and I will die. But if ye through the Spirit, if we, like Jesus, by means or instrumentality of the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of our body, of the body, we shall live. We shall live. So, I cannot, by my will, decide to die with Christ. Not going to happen. If Christ couldn't do it in his flesh, you and I can't do it in our flesh. So, he stated here that we too must, through the Spirit, as Christ did in Hebrews 9.14, submit to the mortifying of our deeds so that we might live. There's only one way to mortify the deeds of the body. To mortify the deeds of the body or self-will, self or self-will, we must be crucified. So we must be crucified with Christ. If I am crucified with Christ, Paul said, uh, we are to be crucified with Christ. If ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of your body, you shall live. Because you can't mortify the deeds of the body without mortifying the the power behind the deeds. It's not God. It's our will and our sinful nature working in concert to get us to run our own lives and cut God out of the picture. And as I've said several, several times, I'm saying it again. This is what the Holy Ghost said right now how many people do do I know? Good, good people, good people. From man's perspective, good people who pray and ask God to give them what they want, how they want. They want him to prevent this and do that and fix this and all that. And they don't know if it's the will of God or not. It's their will. They don't know if it's the will of God or not. So they're praying their will And they're wanting God to bless them to do their will. Let me tell you something, friend. If you've experienced the blessing of God on doing your will, and you haven't submitted your will to God, there was a God that blessed your will. But his name wasn't Jesus. And he didn't exist before all this as the I am. He was the one kicked out of heaven. Because hear me right now, there is no place in the Bible where God blessed anybody doing their will when they didn't even know what the will of God was. They hadn't even sought the will of God. And you can't find the will of God. while you still have your own will so that you can weigh this out? Let's see, I want this and God says for me to have this. And so uh, let's see which one, no, no. Until you say no to your own will, he's not going to tell you his will. not going to happen. And if you take it back because you don't like his will and you go, well, I laid my will down, but I'm going to take it up again because I don't like your way. I'm going to do my way. And I want you to bless this now. Now, Lord, I I'm going to do my will unto you. I'm going to do this my way, but I'm giving it to you, Cain. Not trying to be unkind here, but we have got to get this. We've got to see this. This is critical. It's critical that we understand this is not okay with God. It's not okay. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. The word mortify is the the uh simple word for kill. And uh, according to Thayer's, it means to put to death, metaphorically, to make to die. Or even more so, according to Thayer's, it means by death to be liberated from the bond of anything, literally to be made dead in relation to something. So by the Spirit, I am being made dead to self. By the Spirit, I'm being made dead to self. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. This is the same Greek word. The word translated mortify is the same Greek word as translated kill in a verse we've used in earlier lessons, uh, Romans eight thirty-six. Start with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed, mortified, all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So the Lord empowers us by his grace to, to do his will. We cannot do that ourselves. We're not able to do that ourselves. We're not able. As stated before, we'll be stated again, we do not kill ourselves. We must submit to death, but we can't crucify ourselves. We can't kill ourselves or be crucified. We have to submit to crucifixion. Jesus submitted to crucifixion. Paul submitted to being crucified to Christ. You and I must submit so whatever the process of crucifixion will be. We will discuss this more clearly and more detail as we go along with these lessons. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I would be given the grace and we would receive the grace to be, by the Spirit, to be able to mortify the deeds of our body that we might live, that we might live in him, that he might live in us, and that the world might see him manifested because so that we can be dead and our lives hid with Christ and God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, God bless you. Amen.